0: This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net.
1: Hey, all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker, to Lyrium, to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey Shelby. Hey Austin.
0: You ready to talk about Dragon Age?
1: I am.
0: Alright, well we're continuing our series on the Factions of Thedas. Last week, we talked about the Grey Wardens, so who are we looking at today?
1: Well, um, today, we are heading to Orlais, back to Orlais, I guess I should say, and we are looking at the Chevalier.
0: The Chevalier. The Chevaliers. Really?
1: Really? Really? (laughs)
0: Really? (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay, well. So, let's let's learn about them tell me about them what are these fun facts
1: how do you know I have fun facts
0: you always have fun facts
1: that's fair that's very fair all right well um, basically the Chevaliers or the Chevalier are an Orlesian elite military group um, they are very renowned fighters and they go through a lot of training to become these renowned fighters Um, and you know, they're, they're really good warriors. And I think most significantly, um, the thing that makes them different from other groups of warriors, like the gray wardens or, um, you know, any other group of warriors that you might encounter is that only nobles can become Chevalier.
0: That's kind of an Orlesian theme.
1: Yeah, it's very Orlesian
0: okay, you're a noble, so now you can do this. And it's, like, kind of similar to knights, I guess.
1: Yeah, but I think with knighthood, like... Weren't there certain situations where you could, like, become a knight without being a noble? They would just also make you a noble at the same time?
0: I think... Well, knighthood makes you nobility, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I am no... I think it depends on each Each feudal system would be different. Right. Um, so I'm no expert on that. But I do believe that, like... So, like, nowadays, Queen Elizabeth can make anyone a knight or a dame.
1: And they like, do. They do frequently. Yeah.
0: Actors, musicians...
1: Yeah, people. Who have
0: kinds of people.
1: People who have like done acts of service, or um, right. you know, given some kind of significant legacy. Um, to... and that
0: and that's that's the big thing about uh, today being a knight being knighted is like the act of service or act of valor.
1: Right, but it's very different in Dragon Age, um, and I think it's even more different in Orlay than it is in other parts of Thedas where you have to be a part of the nobility before you can even become a chevalier. And you know, it also right. it also, also sounds pretty taventer to me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would I would not be surprised if you took this order, picked it up and just dropped it into taventer and said, "Okay, this is a taventer group also." It wouldn't surprise me at all because again, of their fascination with bloodlines and nobility and magic.
0: Right, definitely.
1: Um, so, anyway, speaking of nobility, um, a lot of lesser nobles, especially those who um, don't own land or those who might be the third or fourth son, often take the path of the Chevalier because it can raise their status in Orlais. Mm. Um, right. Right. So I I brought a quote from the Codex in Dragon Age 2. And this comes from um, the codex that's just named the Chevalier. And this is what it says. Most of the Orlesian aristocracy has ties to the Chevalier. Joining the knighthood and dedicating one's life to the empire is a tried and true method to improve one's social standing. It's the obvious choice for landless nobles and noble children who are not in line to inherit. Right. And that just kind of backs up everything we've been saying. Um, But it is interesting. What's interesting to me about this Codex entry is that it says that most of the Orlesian aristocracy has ties to the Chevalier. So, like, it's not a minority thing that that Orlesians Mm -hmm. do. It's not like a, oh, just this, like, 5% or whatever. Like, no, it's a very significant portion of their population are part or were part of the Chevalier order.
0: And I wonder, like... When this comes out, because how many of these nobles, these third, fourth sons you know receive more military training because they're like, oh well, you'll go to the chevaliers like like
1: when they're children,
0: yeah, do they have a choice, or is this like a thing that is expected? oh, you'll go to the Chevaliers to make a name for yourself,
1: you know, I think that probably would depend on the individual family um. Mm-hmm. I think for some, it probably definitely is expected and encouraged. Kind of honestly like going to the Templars and becoming a Templar is for some families. And then for other families, I'm sure it's not even on their radar. It's not quite, you know, expected. But the kid or the teenager wants to go. And so they do.
0: Right. And it's like it's a point of honor. Kind of like when we talked about Navarra. Like, joining the Templars in Navarra is a point of honor there because of Navarra's ties to the Chantry.
1: Oh, okay. I don't remember us talking about that at all, but...
0: Well, that's one of the reasons, like, because especially with, you know, Cassandra's ties and being raised by a Death Mage. Mm -hmm. She talks about how, like, being a Templar and going to a Templar is something that's, like, expected in her family.
1: If they don't have magic. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, let's get into like the nitty gritty a little bit. So the Chevaliers are trained at the Académie des Chevaliers in Valreau, or if you're not fluent in mangled French like me, the Academy of the Chevaliers is basically um, what that translates to. Um so they do have an academy and they go to it. They live there. You know, it's kind of like any other intensive training program that you would go to, like boot camp or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and then my last fun fact is that chevaliers have an immense amount of power in Orlesian society. They hold absolute power over every single commoner. Um, and they, they honestly tend to be pretty brutal, especially to elves. Um, and they are, they kind of have a reputation for brutality. Um, and this is because that those who have attained knighthood are above legal reproach. So, they have their own strict, extremely strict honor code within their group and acting dishonorably is punishable by death, but they are not held accountable to like whatever the, the police office, you know, the police station in Orle, the equivalent of that. They are not held accountable to that standard. They are essentially, um, being held to their own standards.
0: Right. Which If is, I was a guard, I'm sorry...
1: I was just going to say it's the perfect breeding ground for corruption.
0: Hmm. Like, if I was a guard in a town in Mm -hmm. Valrio or anywhere, I could not bring a Chevalier to justice.
1: Right. I I mean, if if you could prove that they acted dishonorably according to their code, you could go to their higher-ups. Right. But I I don't think that that would necessarily one hundred percent guarantee that anything would be done.
0: Right, and like this is a point that I remember because our my first introduction to the Chevaliers that I remember is in a conversation with Logang,
1: Mm. Okay, where
0: he basically says like, "I will not bring the Chevaliers here. We will not like deal with them or anything." And he talks about them as much as, like, they are the devil, which, like, reading this and their absolute power, Mm -hmm. that would then transfer to the military that they can go and, like, oh, these Ferelden savages, we can do whatever we want to them.
1: Right, absolutely. And, but it also, like, doesn't make sense to me why he would say that, because we're talking about a blight. Like, it wouldn't be Chevaliers, it would be Orlesian Grey Wardens, you know? Um, right. but we can but either, he
0: doesn't, he doesn't think it's a blight
1: I guess that's true. Um, which makes no sense, but whatever. <laughs> um, so those are my fun facts. Do you have any questions or thoughts so far?
0: No, not particularly. Just that they just sound like people I would not
1: want to hang out around. with. Yeah. Not.
0: The, the more I learn about Orlais, the more I am solidified in my fact that it is the last place in Venice I would want to live.
1: <laughs> really? Even over the Western approach?
0: That's in Orlais.
1: Oh, I guess that's true. I don't even think about that as being part of Orlais. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, well, um, go ahead.
0: Maybe Tevinter. I probably wouldn't want to live in Tevinter. But.
1: Well, let's move on a little bit. Um, So last time we spent a lot of time talking about the structure of the Grey Wardens because we know a lot about their structure. Um, And we are not going to spend nearly as much time today just because we don't know as much about the Chevalier Order. So um, we do know a little bit at the very top is a general, which makes sense. That's kind of how it is for, you know, our armies as well. Our military forces, the generals are at the top. Um, and then under the generals, we have the marshals. Um, and then under that is the Chevalier commander. And this is basically just like the commander of a troop of Chevaliers. It's not necessarily like, oh, you are over all of them. You're leading the order. You're No, it's more like you're just leading a certain little section of the Chevaliers.
0: The word commander" is not a universal term in Thetis for like where someone is ranked in that organization.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Well, you have like a warden commander, which is over a whole section
1: it, true a country
0: of wardens, or you have a knight commander in the Templars, which is over a the whole circle like sit a circle right. or a city or whatever um and then. There are Lord Commanders, Lord Commander of the Seekers.
1: Is that what it's called? I'm pretty sure. I thought it was Lord Seeker.
0: Maybe it is Lord Seeker. I thought it was Lord Commander, but maybe I'm getting my Game of Thrones mixed in with Dragon Age. Yeah. Uh. But again, it's like these are different
1: ranks. Right, exactly. Um, it's not universal. It's definitely not <laughs> universal. Um, And then under the Chevalier Commander, we just have the regular rank-and-file Chevalier, which it should be said that the regular rank-and-file Chevalier is miles above in this hierarchy that we have going on, just the regular everyday person. A Chevalier is not a regular everyday person. Um, Yeah, just want to make that clear.
0: So would it be, would it kind of be said to say that the Chevaliers are kind of like the special forces of the Orlesian army.
1: No, they are the Orlesian army.
0: Oh, well, I thought they, I thought Orlesians had like everyday soldiers that were not Chevaliers.
1: I, I don't think they have like a standing army. And I don't think we can say 100% either way because... There's an, I, I haven't come across anything in the lore that says, this is how it is. It's more like, here are a bunch of different examples, right? So, for example, right. in, I believe, in one of the books, um, either the Masked Empire or in the Stolen Throne, I can't remember, but, like, there are the Chevaliers who are, like, leading the army, and then there's kind of like the the ragtag groups from different cities who are like your guards who are like your defenders of the city or just people who decided to join the army for this specific war this specific battle Um, and they're like at the back they are conscripts right they are the lower tier of the army so it seems to me as if those people are not the everyday army. They're not um, always in the army. They're just joining for, you know, whatever is specifically happening that day. The Chevaliers are the ones who are there all the time. They're always Chevaliers. They're, there's no going home from that job. Um, so it seems to me like they would be more of your standing army kind of deal just at a much higher level of training than you would normally expect.
0: Right, 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 right.
1: Does that make sense?
0: It totally makes sense.
1: Okay, it's just it's just different than you would expect.
0: Right, right. All right. Well, do you have any more more about the structure?
1: I do not. Um, I thought we could move on a little bit. Now would also be a good uh, well, time for a break.
0: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It, Perfect. That it's a good good time <laughs> for our break. So let's go to our break.
1: So. Trying to wrap my mind around this i'm listening ah you've returned a letter arrived for you
0: all right shelby welcome to the break middle of the show where we remind you about a little housekeeping about the podcast and we highlight some fan stuff and so uh first we want to let you know that we do have a Patreon. The descrip- the link is in the description of the episode. You can go and click on us various tiers, get you various benefits. If you would like to support us that way, we greatly appreciate it. This is not... We we both have regular jobs. Like, we don't do this full-time. This is something we do for fun. And so getting support is great. Also, if you would like to support us in a, in a not uh, financial way, you can go on to either Spotify or Apple podcast and leave us a review. Um, if you like what you do, um, and, or like what we do, not what you, you can like what you do too. Um, but if you like what we do, leave us a five star review on Apple podcast. If you leave us some kind words, we'll read them out on a future episode of the show. And so, uh, now we're going to go into a, um, segment, which we call, uh, Heroes, Hawks, and Heralds, which is where we want to hear about your PCs, your player characters, your heroes, your uh, Hawks, or your Heralds of Andraste, um, Inquisitors, or whatever they're called. Mm. And so last week Shelby shared hers, and so kind of kicked off, I'm going to share mine. Uh, I'm going to share my Hawk, which you should know that I actually have two canon Hawks I have a canon on if Hawk is a uh, is a femme Hawk or a canon if Hawk is male. So I'm going to share my male Hawk. Uh, his name is James Hawk. Um, he is a archer rogue. Um, he romances Meryl. Is who he does. Um, he just really likes that cute little elf mage. Um, as tragically, Carver dies... In the Escape from Wothering. When we go into there. uh, He actually does not take Bethany with him. Because he is kind of a mama's boy. And likes to do what his mom wants. So he didn't take Bethany with with him. So Bethany ended up joining the circle. In DA2. um, Which I have come to find out later in life. That. I like Bethany as a, I like Bethany as a gray warden and Carver as a templar. Um, and so that um My Hawk one v one would the Airshock because and he did get Isabella to return, but he didn't feel like that was something he could do to give Isabella to the Airshock. Um My hawk is definitely probably a mix between blue and purple. He's mainly blue hawk, but occasionally would do that. Best friends with Varric, um, as you are. And then he sided with the mages to protect his sister. um, And he rage killed Anders at his betrayal. Um, And so poor little Anders is not alive and well. (laughs) So that's my hawk. All right, Shelby, I think you have a review for us to read.
1: I do. Um, and this one was given to us on December 7th. And that was after we had already taken our Christmas break. So we're so sorry it's taken this long for us to get around to reading this review. Um, but this is from Jay Hall 0329. And Jay Hall says, Great podcast. The two knowledgeable hosts provide great insight into DA lore. Makes me excited for reading the books and the upcoming game. Thank you so much, J-Hall, for this review. We very much appreciate every single review we get, um, as it really does help... um, New listeners find us, and it tells new listeners that, hey, this is a good podcast, this is a podcast that I want to listen to, and this is a podcast that people are interested in. So thank you so much for your review. We really appreciate it.
0: And thanks for thinking we're knowledgeable.
1: Yeah, that too. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. Well, you ready to get back to it?
1: Yes, I am. My friend. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people a vault dweller and a California girl. They met, and sparks blew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland. A Fallout 76 love story. Available now. Do you know what makes your video game bay tick?
0: Have you ever wondered how they stack up against all the rest of the delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, and we analyze and review all of your favorite video game romances. I'm Vervada. Check out our podcast, Two Girls, One Ship, on all your favorite podcast places. Remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. All right, well, let's get back to it.
1: Okay, so normally, this is the point where I talk about the history. Um, But to be quite honest, we don't know much about the history of the Chevaliers. We know that they're a very old order, and we know a lot about their order, but we don't know a lot about the founding or... The timeline or anything like that. So for those of you who are history nerds like me, sorry about it. We just don't know a lot. Um, That's
0: so surprising to me. It because is because, like,
1: because we know so much about Orlesian history generally.
0: Right, right, right. Like, I mean, I mean, it's only Taventer really that is probably more documented.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I could be wrong, and I could have just totally missed it. So if you're out there listening and you're like. Shelby, you totally miss this. Send it our way, tag us, please. Um, but I really couldn't find a lot about the history. But I did find a lot about um, how the Chevaliers, you know, kind of act and behave and function as an organization. So let's just dive into that.
0: All right, well, let's do it.
1: Okay, so first I wanted to start with, the basics their forms of fighting because that's what they are they're warriors so so fighting is at the forefront um so there are several different forms that they use um kind of like jedi lightsaber forms that do different things and have kind of unique names so let's go through those so the first one is called Duelist catches an apple um, and this one is used when the Chevalier unsheaths a sword really quickly for just like a quick strike um, out at someone. And then the second one is called Second Shield. And this is when the Chevalier takes an opponent as a shield and like uses their uh, sword to skewer multiple enemies at once. Which is... Gnarsty, but impressive. Um, and then we have bear mauls the wolves, which is used very often when outnumbered. Um, and basically you take your weapon in, in both hands and kind of like slash. I'm not really sure how this all works because I'm not a duelist. So, <laughs> and then the opposite of that is with wolves take the bear which is um, more of a team when you have multiple chevaliers against um, like a larger opponent but fewer in number and this is like quick striking and moving back repeatedly and then we have another one called spearfisher which is a defensive position um, that really is trying to like conserve your strength and Um, hold back instead of being super aggressive and out there and um, you often use this one when you're facing an opponent that is considered very intimidating and then the last one um, I have is called testing the blade and this is like a series of stretches that you use while being on the offensive like with your sword prepared and ready So you're stretching to identify which of your muscles and ligaments are sore um, that your tolerance of pain has already dismissed. So you can be aware of your weak points during the fight. So those are just some of their basic forms of fighting, which I thought was really interesting. You know, not a lot of these um, take a very high skill level. Um, And is not just something that, like, your basic person that picks up a sword can master. Um, Some of these are actually pretty complex.
0: Um, It makes it interesting that, like, it makes me want to have a Chevalier, like, specialization. specialization.
1: Yes, I want that so bad. I really thought it It, would happen in DAI, and it did not.
0: It reminds me of the... um... Kind of the Berserker hmm. specialization in DAO.
1: Interesting. Why um, so?
0: Well, that one just, it kind of involves, like, the Berserker relies on different, like, activated abilities, sustained modes mm-hmm. that oh, you well, can true. use and do that. Um, that's true. And so, whereas, like, Reaver or any of those rely on, like, sacrificing your health, you know, Templar relies on Lyrium-based other things like that but
1: right but doesn't berserker isn't that about like giving into your rage while fighting yes
0: yeah see that's not a perfect analogy yeah
1: yeah, i'm just saying that seems really at odds with the whole um chevalier ideology to me
0: and you know i've never played a duelist rogue um and so that might be something but
1: yeah I, i don't know well let's continue on um so let's just talk about some like cultural things that um identify the chevaliers as a group. So number 1 is that duels are very common for chevaliers, but they but they are incredibly serious. Um you can duel another chevalier like yourself, for example, in the Masked Empire. Grand Duke Gaspard duels um, Sir Michel de Chavon, who we meet in the Emprise de Leon um, in DAI. So they duel each other, but you can also have duels where you're both representing someone else. Um, Both are very common, but they're so serious because of the Chevalier Code of Honor. So duels are often used to settle arguments or, again, def- defend someone's honor. It's very much considered a severe breach of conduct for a chevalier to use magic to assist them in fighting in any way, especially when fighting in a duel. Um, and... Another thing is that that's interesting about this is that Chevaliers salute one another with the phrase death before dishonor before they begin fighting, especially in a duel, but anytime they fight. So, um, in, in Orlais generally, and the Chevalier has to go through all of this training at the Academy and everything like that, but, um, it's it's also rumored, this and this does not happen to everyone, but it's fairly common, that an informal test of their final training involves roaming the streets, getting drunk, and testing your blade by killing a city elf.
0: And people wonder why Briala wants reform.
1: Yeah, it's really bad. Um and like this this whole thing makes Michelle's story even more sad because he's half elf, you know, he hid this obviously mm-hmm. um but like we find all this out in the masked Empire, and for him to to kill someone that's you know that that he shares a common ancestry with, I mean, I I can imagine that someone who's as sensitive as he is would really be racked with guilt. I know I would be personally um, if I did something like that, but I can imagine that that's hard for a lot of them. Yeah. And the reason why I say that it's hard is, is, not because I think Orlesians have sympathy for elves generally, but because there are a lot of Chevaliers who basically buy their way into the order. Um, and they do this through a scribe by the name of Limage sang or also known as the Blood Mage. And... He's referred to as the blood mage, not because he actually is a blood mage, but because he's infamous for his reputation of being able to, quote, conjure noble blood out of thin air. So basically what this person is doing is lying and fabricating documents about nobility and your bloodline to get you entrance into the Chevalier order. And this is what Michel de Chavon does because he is, you know, he's a half elf. He wouldn't be a noble of noble Mm -hmm. blood um, to be able to be eligible, but he's a fantastic fighter. So he, you know, goes to this, this blood mage scribe and, you know, he basically gets his papers in order. And this is um, a huge scandal, but it's not as uncommon as you might think. It does happen fairly, not, I wouldn't say often, but it's not uncommon. It's not unheard of. So to me, that suggests that there are probably quite a few half elves or people with elven ancestry who buy their way into the Chevalier order. So going back to what I said earlier about the, that test of, of killing the elves, for those who buy their way into the Chevalier order and have elven ancestry, I can imagine that it's probably difficult for them.
0: And like, would that, would they be, exp- I mean, to find that out would mean death. Like to find out you did yeah. that, because I would assume that would be the height of dishonor. It, to lie is. Your way it. it
1: absolutely is. And I think I can't remember exactly because it's been a while since I've read that book, the masked empire, but, uh, Michelle is, he's basically like Celine's warrior, her personal warrior. That's always with her, always protecting her kind of like a bodyguard, but also more important than that. And so his his ancestry, it gets found out, um, and so, he doesn't die because we meet him in, in Inquisition, but <clears throat> there's a lot of fights that happen, and they kind of all blur together for me. Um, but I think he does fight Gaspard, um, and this is one of the reasons why, but, you know, it's really on account of Celine's status that he's not just straight up killed, Um After finding this out, which I think makes sense. You know, when you're, when you're serving the Empress, that's like the highest point that you can get, you know? Um, so he, he, you know, he goes on to try to kill Imshel the demon and all of that, that we meet in, in Inquisition, but that's part of Michelle's story. And I, I do not believe that he is the only one that has that story. Right. So just a couple more things about the culture of the Chevalier order. Um, Number one, that a yellow feather is like their mark, their symbol. Uh, Very often you see that they have the yellow feather on the top of, on the tops of their helmets. Um, That's kind of their symbol. And then Lastly is they generally always wear the golden armor. Uh, That's kind of, that's kind of their mark. Um, So all of the people, all of the NPCs that you see wandering around Skyhold or in the Emerald Graves or wherever in Inquisition wearing gold armor, they're all Chevaliers. Um, and there are lots of Chevaliers that we meet in Inquisition. Um, but yeah, they all wear gold armor. And there is an armor set that Hawk can wear in Dragon Age 2. I think it might come from the DLC armor packs, but um, it is a Chevalier armor. I think it's called the Armor of the Chevalier. And it's golden, and it has two like lions on the shoulder blades. Not on the shoulder blades, yeah. on the tops of the shoulders.
0: Pauldron. Pauldron is the word you're looking for.
1: Yeah, that. Whatever. I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I've got about the Chevaliers. Do you have any thoughts or questions or interesting remarks?
0: They're not my favorite.
1: <laughs> no, me neither. Um, I very much look at them as like the overrated frat boys of the Thetis. Of of Thetis. No offense to those of you who are in a fraternity, but you know they have a reputation, just like the Chevaliers. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, yep, yep.
1: All right, so let's talk about um, a few no members of the Chevaliers. All right. Do you want me to read these out, Austin, or do you want to? I know you struggle with um, pronunciation sometimes, and these are kind of difficult.
0: Um, you can do it. Okay. <laughs> so I, French French is not <laughs> my strong point.
1: I know. I did take French like academically, so I know a little bit, not a lot, but a tiny bit. So August, he is the deputy leader of the Free Men of the Dales in Dragon Age Inquisition. Sir Aveline, she is the first female chevalier Sir Benoit Dulac, who is the father of Aveline Vallon, who is a companion in Dragon Age 2. Grand Duke Gaspard de Chalon, of course, we've already talked about him. Stroud, I think his first name is Jean-Marc Stroud, prior to becoming a Grey Warden. Sir Michel de Chavon, we've already talked about him. And... Sir Michel Lafile, he was a ruler of Kirkwall and liberated them from the Qunari, um back in like the fifth age. And there are obviously more as well. We just listed some of the major ones and I'm sure there will also be more that we'll meet in future games and books and other external media.
0: All right. We ready for our side character?
1: I am. Why don't you tell us who it is, Austin?
0: So our side character is Sir Aveline the First, um, not to be confused with Aveline Valen, who is um, companion in DA Two, captain of the guard in Kirkwall. She is named for this chevalier. Her father names yes. her Aveline after the first female chevalier.
1: Right, because her father was a Chevalier.
0: Yes. So the one we're um, talking right. about is the original Sir Aveline.
1: Yes, back in the day. Um, yes, yeah, so there are different people, important to note. Um, so let's just dig into her history a little bit. So Sir Aveline was born to Orlesian farmers outside of Halamshiral during the Storm Age. Her family really wanted a boy who could help, like, farm and provide for the family, so they abandoned Aveline to die from exposure. This was something that was very common, like, in our historical times, exposing infants, um, especially girls, happened very, very often um, in the olden times. But, Sir Aveline was rescued by a band of traveling Dalish elves. They brought her into their clan and raised her among them. Because of this, she was trained in archery, dueling, riding, and survival skills. So, she was super talented, and her Dalish parents encouraged her to enter into a human tournament in Montsimard, which is a city in Orlais. At this point... Women were forbidden from joining the Chevaliers in Orlé, and they were forbidden from competing in tournaments. So, Aveline joined the tournament disguised as a man. Her clan, her Dalish clan, forged a suit of armor with a full helmet to conceal her face, and they gave her an ironbark sword of the finest quality. So, she entered the competition disguised as a knight from Antiva. She refused to take off her helmet even during archery. She bested many of the other knights and had begun to win over the crowd. In the Grand Melee, she faced a knight named Kaleva, who was considered to be the finest chevalier in Orlay. She had defeated him already in jousting, so he really wanted to win and had a vendetta against her. They were fairly tied with Aveline taking a marginal lead until Kaleva tripped Aveline and she fell and her helmet fell off. Kaleva demanded that she forfeit because of her gender, but the crowd jeered and booed at him, shaming him. In a fury at being bested by a woman, Kaleva forced Aveline to her knees and slit her throat in a word, Kaleva is trash number one um but the son of the Emperor, Prince Freyan, was present at the turnet tourney, in spite of the fact that he himself had been bested by Aveline in an earlier bout he recognized her valor and her bravery. So when he ascended to the throne in 744 Storm, his uh, during his reign as emperor, he abolished the law which forbade women from joining the Orlesian knighthood. And he had Aveline posthumously knighted as a chevalier. So, although female chevaliers remain relatively rare, everyone, every woman who chooses the path of knighthood in Orlais reveres Sir Aveline as their patron. And her story remains a very popular tale throughout Orlais. Orlesian smiths often reportedly forge armor or weapons that have said to belong to Aveline. Even though, you know, that's not really true. Um, But that's kind of an honor thing. Um, So that's a little bit about Sir Abilene. Um, Her story is incredibly sad and tragic. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not expecting it to be so, so tragic. Um, But it's interesting to me that Orlesians would... Revere someone like Sir Aveline when so much of who she was is hated mm-hmm. by Orlesians. Like, she she was born to a commoner family, poor farmers who, you know, Orlesians hate that. Um, they gave her up. She was adopted by a Dalish clan, which Orlesians really hate elves. And then she acted dishonorably by pretending to be a man to fight uh, in something where she wasn't allowed. So, you know, she's done several things that, I mean, I don't have any issue with any of those things she Mm -hmm. did, but for Orlesians, I think it would make sense that you would not like her um, because all of these things kind of go against their culture, you know? Um, So it's really interesting to me that they revere her so much.
0: Mm -hmm. I think it's probably something that like adopted in time and like it was probably I mean she obviously won favor with the crowds of Orlais and so right that's true and you know that's true Orlesians love their drama
1: that is also very true
0: and did she not play the game
1: that's true that's such a good point she absolutely did play the game right and she played the game well Mm -hmm. she won the game in the end because she's remembered and Kaleva is not right
0: well
1: but it is a sad story it is a very sad story I think
0: I can see why Aveline Valen would look up to her
1: Mm mm-hmm absolutely
0: because you know Aveline Valen walked so Brianna of Tarth could run
1: absolutely yes. <laughs> you're not wrong
0: um, and so yeah, do you have anything else about sir Aveline i I like her as a character she makes yeah, me it's
1: definitely interesting
0: respect the Chevaliers a little more than I already was, than I was
1: you know ironically, it makes me dislike them even more
0: Oh, that's...
1: because she never was a real right I mean. I say real. She never was an official Chevalier. While she was alive. She was while she was alive. Right. Like she didn't get to earn that honor, even though I believe she could have. Um, But her life was cut short by toxic masculinity and, you know, ego and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And that makes me sad. um, Because I hate it when (laughs) I hate it when our fantasy games remind me of the real world. yes (laughs) because it just makes me sad you know that that kind of those kinds of issues exist in in fantasy worlds just like they do here um so
0: it's a fine line i do like her as a character it's a fine line in fantasy you want both unfamiliar and familiar
1: yeah i mean like you want it to be realistic too Mm -hmm. of course like it wouldn't it wouldn't be a compelling story if everyone just loved each other all the time, because why would you have any conflict if that was the case?
0: Right. But so, yeah, we're getting a little off track. Um, we are. Do you have anything else about the Chevaliers? No, or I don't.
1: Unless you have any thoughts. I'm I think good. that's
0: it. Um, thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you all next week when we talk about a new faction. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DALorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at DALorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Hi, I'm
1: Fire Rider, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. Every week, we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices, and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives. A lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Micola, Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's the Elden Archives from Soft Lorecast, available everywhere.